everyone. Welcome to the Couch Potato Coach Podcast. I'm Coach Megan, and I'm here with you to share my latest learnings and musings on how to show up as the most authentic version of yourself. Today is part two of Toxic Relationships. If you haven't listened to part one, then stop listening and go start with that one. For everyone here that has listened to part one already, we will be continuing on this journey of how to distinguish if you're in a toxic relationship and what you can do as a response. I'll be introducing you to Dr. Harriet Lerner and her book, The Dance of Anger. Thank you for being here with me and for taking this time for yourself and for a little self-care. Before we get started, I do need to say that this content does not apply to any relationship where you do not feel safe. If you're afraid when you're around another person, then seek help with a therapist or you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or by texting the word START to 88788. This podcast is only applicable to relationships where you feel safe. Okay, let's get started. I know some of you are not happy with me after part one, identifying subconscious beliefs And paying attention to those thoughts that are constantly running around in your head is not exactly a fun activity. It's tedious and time-consuming and not nearly as amusing as going down a TikTok real hole. I get it, but I'm not here to lure you in with quick fixes or placating activities. I'm here to talk about what works. I'm here to show you what the latest research is telling us. And that means getting into the trenches and doing the work. There's no way around these growing pains and it is worth it. I hope you were able to find out what the commentary was like in your own head and that you've learned from it. You need that solid base there before you can think about identifying toxic relationships with other humans. I'd like for us all to be on the same page, so I'm going to repeat the definition for toxic relationship from part one. It's a relationship that results in consistently negative thoughts and or behaviors or shame about who you are. Okay, let's do it. Think of that relationship that you have in mind, and you know exactly the one I'm talking about. Think about your last 10 interactions with this person. If you're in a position that you can pull out a pen and paper and write them down, even better. So when you're reviewing these interactions, were you consistently feeling negative thoughts or behaving in a negative way after spending time with them? Was your energy drained most of the time? Still thinking back over the last 10 interactions with this person, Why did you spend time with them? Is there something positive that you're gaining from the relationship? In the last 10 interactions, did you feel ashamed of who you were as a person as a result of being around this person? Look to identify the trend here and feel free to pause and gather the information that you need in order to make a decision. Okay, now that you've gathered some information, you have a good idea if this is a toxic relationship. If you feel shame about who you are or you're consistently leaving with negative thoughts and or behaviors as a result of spending time with this person, you are participating in a toxic relationship. Do you like how I said that? You thought this was going to be about the other person, didn't you? Nope. It's not about them. It's never about the other person. This is about you and it always has been. If you are here to gain permission to tell off that family member significant other or condescending boss, you are not going to get it. I know that you think it feels so good to see the look on their face when you tell them that they're toxic. Just like Lovey Ajayi Jones says in the Troublemakers Manifesto, 
When they go low, I go gutter. Sorry to inform you, you will not be getting any sort of permission like that from me. What I know to be true more than anything else is that we cannot control other people. We can't control other people's behavior. You're here so you can find exactly that right thing to say that will force the other person to stop behaving in a way that you don't like. You will be disappointed. Unless you're willing to go to jail, you can't control how another person thinks, acts, speaks, any of the above. All you can control is how you behave when someone is doing something that you don't like. This is where I got it wrong. I thought that the point of identifying a toxic relationship was to use that knowledge to teach the other party a lesson. I will admit I found it gratifying to stand on self-righteous ground and tell the other person how toxic they were. I can still hear myself saying from up on my moral high ground, you can't talk to me like that. When we feel the need to say to someone else, you can't talk to me like that anymore, it's really the small child inside us that was hurt and scared by an emotionally mature adult. It feels really good to stand up for ourselves in this way that we were never able to as a child. It feels really good to prove to ourselves that we've grown and changed and we finally have a say. We want to take back a little of what was taken from us. It feels good the way that third glass of wine does. It feels great in the moment, but when the headache hits the next morning and you can barely function because of the hangover, all you're left with are regrets. Brene Brown writes in her book, Atlas of the Heart, self-righteousness is the conviction that one's beliefs and behaviors are the most correct. Ugh, this is painful. I wanted to be the most correct. I thought that if I was the most correct, then I would be presenting irrefutable evidence to the other party and they would have to change. My intent was to eliminate the behavior of someone else so that I didn't have to deal with my own emotional discomfort. This is an example of poor boundaries. And let me state for the record that the only person that can heal that inner child is you. That might be a topic for another day. Yes, the behavior of the other human you're interacting with may be hurtful. That explains what was taking place that doesn't excuse your response to it. The question is not, why is the other person behaving in this way? The question is, why am I participating? Now, I do want to make it clear, I am not advocating that we should merely tolerate hurtful behavior. In any situation where someone has hurt you, I think the natural steps to healing the relationship are accountability, which is letting the person know that they hurt you, and amends, the other person taking measures not to do that thing again. Let's stick with my example from earlier about what you can do if someone is speaking to you in a way that you don't like. If someone is speaking to you in a way that you've determined is unacceptable, then remove yourself from the situation. You don't need to stand on moral high ground and tell them that they can't speak to you in that way. The fact is, they will speak to you however they want to. It's their mouth. If you don't like the way they're speaking to you or what they're saying, then leave. It is that simple. You don't have to use any words at all. If you feel like you have to say something, it's best to keep it short and simple. Um, for example, I feel like we're no longer having a productive conversation and connecting. I'm going to leave and take some time to gather my thoughts. We can continue this conversation later. Or, I need to pause this conversation. 
I'm going to go watch a show on my own. We can come to a resolution about this later. Or even better, you can tell the other person in advance that you will leave the conversation if they're going to criticize you, demean you, scream in your face, whatever it is that they're doing that you've decided you won't tolerate anymore. The fact is, you have been participating in the toxicity by staying. If you're worried that they will have a negative reaction to you ending the conversation, then let them. It's their responsibility to deal with their emotions. It's not your job to alleviate their emotional discomfort. This can be messy work, and that's why it's so important to be clear on your intention and your values. If you value connection and progress within the relationship with this person, then you can feel good about implementing strategies for change, even if it's difficult in the short term. What won't feel good is implementing a strategy for control in the short term and then realizing you've compromised your values in the long term. Here is where I would like to introduce you to Dr. Harriet Lerner. According to her website, which is harrietlerner.com, and I will put that on my website, which is couchpotatocoachllc.com, Dr. Lerner has a PhD in clinical psychology from City University of New York. She was a teacher and supervisor at the Carl Menninger School of Psychiatry for over two decades, and she's written over 12 books. One of those books is called The Dance of Anger, I first read this book about 10 years ago, and it was my introduction to boundaries. She writes in a way that is super easy to follow along and understand. It's entertaining because she fills it with stories, and she gives plenty, plenty of example dialogues that can be used as possible conversation starters. She does gear it towards women, but I really think anyone, male, female, or otherwise, would benefit from the concepts in it. So feel free to pick it up wherever you purchase books. Boundaries are essential for any relationship, but especially important when you're dealing with a toxic one. If you're familiar with my podcast, you know that I typically use a personal example, and today is no different. I'm going to use a situation from my past I've talked about a little already on the podcast. I shared with you how I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad over the past few years and how much I regret that decision. My dad died in January and I'm still processing the loss. I'd like to use this example to showcase what not to do. I'd also like to make it clear that my relationship with my dad wasn't toxic. I never consciously thought about whether our relationship was toxic or not. I just acted like it was without properly evaluating why I was acting that way. Which brings me to the very first step, which is identifying if the relationship is toxic. If I had done that, I would have realized that he rarely said hurtful things to me and that most of the time he was kind and generous and loving towards me and my kids. I would have realized that he just made a mistake, as we humans do. Brene Brown writes in Atlas of the Heart, Compassion is not a practice of better than or I can fix you. It's a practice based in the beauty and pain of shared humanity. Oh, love that passage. A toxic relationship is a lot different from a person making a mistake and hurting you. Don't skip the steps. They're there to help you gain clarity on what is actually going on. These situations tend to be filled with emotional reactions. And when we're in that place, which is the limbic system of our brain, we aren't thinking clearly from the prefrontal cortex part of our brain. We won't have clarity unless we rely on a system we have in place, like the steps I'm outlining for you today. Save them, refer back to them when you need them. I'll make sure all of this gets up on my website so you can easily find it. 
So let's talk about the first mistake that I made with my dad to put my relationship on hold over a text fight. It was a raw emotional reaction to some hurtful things he said to me over text and my limbic system was in the pilot seat. This wasn't a well thought out decision. And then when I had had some time to calm down, I made a second mistake. I rationalized my emotional decision. I dug my heels in and I stuck to my decision because of my pride. I thought that it was my job to teach my dad how he could talk to me. I knew I was the most correct in the situation and I told myself that because I was the most correct, that it wasn't my responsibility to fix it. If he wanted a relationship with me, then he would have to fix it. I cringe thinking about this now. Making the decision this way in the heat of the moment when I was emotional and then intentionally sticking to it because of self-righteousness cost me two years worth of memories with my dad. It cost me the memory of him meeting my daughter for the first time. It cost me the memories of him watching my kids open up gifts on Christmas morning. It cost me two years worth of hugs and hearing him say that he loved me. And for what? So that I could be right? So that I could teach him a lesson? If this is your intention, then take it from me. It will lead to regrets. This actually leads me to the first step. So I have four steps when it comes to dealing with a toxic relationship. Um, And the first one is just to decide on your intention. When you're making decisions that deal with another person, your intention needs to be to experience yourself as the best, most authentic version that you are. As Brene Brown puts it, you have to know where you begin and where the other person ends. And it can help to do a quick review of your values and make sure that you are aligned with who you are. If I had stopped to do this in relation to my dad, I would have seen my three core values staring back at me. Curiosity, compassion, and creativity. I wasn't being curious or compassionate or creative. I was being emotionally reactive and stubborn. There was no curiosity on my part as to why he might be acting the way he was. There was no creativity in my response. There was nothing compassionate about me not wishing my dad a happy birthday or a Merry Christmas. When I think about the way that I acted, I feel ashamed because this is not congruent with who I am. I fucked up. I acted in a way that betrayed who I am. This behavior earned me one of the biggest heartaches of my life. So get clear on your intention. Are you doing this to teach the other person how they can or cannot speak to you? Are you doing this to teach the other person that they have to show you respect? Are you doing this because you are the most correct? Are you doing this to teach the other person to fill in the blank? This cannot be about controlling the actions of someone else or proving your worth. If you find yourself thinking something along the lines of, I'll show them, or I don't need them in my life, I'm doing just fine, or they have only themselves to blame, then your intention might be that of protection. If you're anything like me, you may have a loud inner critic that walks the halls of your head ferociously looking for ways to protect you. This is why intention is so crucial. If you make a decision like I did, intending to protect yourself from ever getting hurt by another person again, then do so knowingly. Be honest and upfront with yourself that you're never going to let that person hurt you again by never providing them with the opportunity to speak to you or be in your life in any way. 
And that's a solid choice. However, if your intention is to love the other person as fully flawed and human as they are, that means you might get hurt again. That's life. That's the reality of it and why this is so complicated. When you're making choices like this, it is deeply personal. And that's why I wanted to start with yourselves and why I have implored you to spend the time and effort worthy of such an important decision. So that is step one. Be clear about your intentions and how you want to show up in relation to other people. This is not about telling someone off, standing on moral high ground, or proving to the other person that you're the most correct. This is about experiencing the most authentic version of yourself. How do you do that? Let's move on to step number two. Step number two is create an action plan for implementing your intention. How do you want your life to look? Do you want this person in it? How much? Do you need to step up the frequency or dial it back? Are you best in loving them from a distance through mail or postcards? Do you need to completely cut this person out? What system can you put in place so that you can experience yourself more fully? I can tell you that after my dad died, I reevaluated all of the relationships that I had cut off under the label of toxicity. Some of them I have revived, some of them I have not, but I do feel good about who I am showing up as. Let's move on to step number three. Think through the worst case scenario. If you were to implement your plan, what are the possible consequences? How would you handle each one? Are you okay with paying the price for change? I never took this step with my dad. I never thought about how much I would hurt if I never saw him again. That was a huge mistake. Step number four is to identify a process for evaluation. If you are implementing new boundaries with a loved one, then it's important to put markers in place to make sure you still feel that same way after some time has passed. In time, you're going to grow and change. It's likely the other person will too. For me, I have it in my calendar to evaluate my close relationships twice per year, once in October and once in February. I actually have it on my calendar with a reminder to sit down and do the work. I had never intended my relationship with my dad to be put on hold for years. Somehow time went by without me realizing it. I had lost two years of having him in my life. I know that's not an experience I want to relive, so I created a system that works for me. Take some time to think about how you could implement a system for evaluation that might make sense for you. Most of you are familiar with the saying that we are the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. This concept is getting a lot of attention recently in the personal development world, and it's one that I will ask you to pay attention to with eyes wide open. While I do think there's value in knowing the information, I believe there's a mistake here between causation and correlation. In statistics, causation indicates that one event is the result of the occurrence of the other event. Correlation, on the other hand, is an observable trait between the events, but not necessarily the cause between them. Like the more firefighters that are sent to a fire, the more damage occurs. Obviously, the damage is not being caused by the firefighters. The fire is larger and requires more firefighters to put it out. It's the fire that's causing the damage, not the firefighters, but the correlation does remain accurate. Sorry, Greg, just because I happened to visit with you around the same time that you hurt yourself does not make me the cause of your injuries. I think in the age of quick news clips and headlines meant to grab your attention, We see a lot of correlation and not enough causation. The theory goes that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with because as a social species, 
we will adopt the standards of those around us. Their acceptable standards will influence our acceptable standards, which can be true, and maybe it is true the majority of the time, but I think it's truly worth stopping and reflecting on causation. This assumes that we rely on the people around us to provide us with a standard, that we don't get this from within. This is what I take issue with. If we're actually doing our internal work, knowing our values and following our own standards, then we're free to associate with anyone. And all of a sudden, we may stay in the life of someone else whose standards are different from our own and be the only contact in their life that allows them to see things from a different perspective. More and more, we are surrounding ourselves with people who always agree with the things we're saying and share all of the same beliefs. We lack a healthy discourse among our peer groups and it can be dangerous to disagree because then people cut you off and label you as toxic. Do you see where I'm going here? I'm asking you to be careful about labeling someone as toxic. It can be a cheap thrill that costs us as individuals and as a society quite a lot. My challenge for you this week is to pause and reflect on a difficult conversation that you already had, that you need to have, or that you're planning to have. All I want you to do is remind yourself that you have no control over how the person shows up or what they will choose to do. Think about some ways you can respond and prepare to show up as the best, most authentic version of yourself. This concludes part two of Toxic Relationships. I haven't decided what I'll be talking about next month yet. Once I figure that out, I'll either announce the topic on my Instagram or leave some clues for you. I am in the middle of a nightmare of migrating my website to a new server. So my website is still up. You can still access it, but I can't make any changes to it while this is happening. So if you've been waiting for me to add my latest podcast on there, that's why it's taking so long. Please bear with me a little bit longer. I'll get this all straightened out and get part one and two up on my website under the podcast tabs just as soon as I can edit it again. Thank you for taking this time to learn and grow with me. More than anything else, I do this so that you can come here, hear my voice, and know that you are not alone.